maybe we should just be calling a lot just in case it's that moment. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe we should, maybe we should be checking in with each other, especially the people that are closest to us more than we do. It doesn't matter how many followers you have on Facebook or how many people are watching your Instagram page. Like that doesn't seem to keep people in the game, but actual relationships with flesh and blood people kind of empirical data suggests that does keep people in the game. listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm here, Bart Campolo. I don't need to say that because I know the lady just said that, but I'm saying it because I want to give my cool title, Humanist Chaplain at the University of Cincinnati. Or wait, does she say that too? <laughs> no, what she I, doesn't. That's she does, a cool title though. Okay. Yeah, it is a cool title. And and you're my cool what's your title these days? Do you go do you do you say you're a producer of the Humanize Me podcast? I'll say uh, Humanize Me Producer. Yeah. That's what I'll there say. There you go. A- yeah. And and you're John Wright. I am. And how are you? I'm 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 fine and I'm glad you're with me today. And we're gonna do this show together because it's a QA show, which is the kind of the new thing that we're doing. And so far, people seem to like it. Yes. All right. So, so that's a good thing. And I'm actually, I don't know what the question is today, but I'm excited to get to it. But before we do, there's just mm-hmm. one thing I want to, like two things I want to get out there. The first is I got this really interesting email this week from Paul Enns, who is a guy I met when I was up in Calgary doing that dialogue with Sean McDowell. And, um, and I, you, he actually hung out with us a little bit after the dialogue with um, me and Matt Delahunty and some other people. And uh, we had this really interesting conversation. Anyway, long story short, um, he wrote to me and said, you know, my story is a little bit like a small scale version of yours. My locally prominent dad was embarrassed by my late in life deconversion. Uh, and he said, and in a really strange set of circumstances, last month, my dad and I ended up watching leaving my father's faith which is the film john you made about me and my dad yes Um, he watched it last month and it was like this powerful experience for him so he ended up making a youtube video about the experience of watching the movie and basically recommending to whoever watched the video that they should watch it on father's day and he put that sucker up and he wrote to me and he said like this little youtube video i put up has nine thousand views so far (laughs) <laughs> and and evidently like 350 comments. So it it was, the, you know, and I watched the little video and it's it's a little weird for me to watch just because like it's this animated dude talking and stuff like that. But it, it's it's kind of neat. And I, I just realized like, why didn't we think of recommending the movie on Father's Day? <laughs> <laughs> We're not that good apparently. But yeah, uh, it's funny because you sent me that link to the YouTube video. I forwarded it to the to the the film's uh, executive producer, Matt Dean, and said, hey, Matt, what do you think of this? It's pretty cool. And he said, uh, hey, it's inspiring me. Why don't I drop $5 off the cost of the movie for Father's Day? So he did that, and 
I guess instead of $15, it's now going to be 10 on Amazon for Father's Day. So it inspired him and if, for like the weekend, feel right? good like, about the movie. Yeah. Yeah. For, for the, the weekend, weekend, I think. Yeah. yeah. So that's that, I think that's so that's cool. Yeah, I think that is cool. And I was I, was, I mean, and like I thanks Paul ends and thanks Matt and thanks everybody. That's it's it's a I think it I think that this movie ultimately may be one of those things that ends up getting played on Father's Day, you know, sort of like the Grinch who stole Christmas is always around the Christmas season. And, you, you know, <laughs> there are certain things you watch at certain times of year. This may end up being a Father's Day movie because it really does have a lot to do with how fathers and sons um, stay connected across the divide yeah. of, of faith. So I never even thought about thought of it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so there's that. And then the other thing that I'm kind of excited about this week is on Thursday of this week, which is that, what is that, the 14th? Yeah. The 14th. We're doing the first Humanize Me jam session. Um, and I don't know, like what it kind of is, is every month you and me and a couple of other people get together to try to figure out like what, what's going on with the podcast, who we should have as guests, what things we should change, what we should, yeah, what we should try. Production meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what we realized was, is that there's on, on, on Patreon, you know, there are people that are supporting the podcast for a buck a month, which is really just very supportive and encouraging. But then there are people that like get in there for like five bucks a month or even 20 or 50 or a hundred bucks a month that are sort of like, we're sponsoring this podcast. We're going to make sure this thing happens and we're going to try to make it better. And so what we decided to do was to open up the production meeting to all the partners, which are the people that give $20 or more a month. And so I don't know how many of them will show up, but like there might be five or 10 people on that call. Right, right. So the idea is uh, at that $20 a month and up level, those people will be part of the call in the sense that they'll be able to write comments and, and sort of give feedback and we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, so they'll be they'll be seeing that live. I think we're going to be able to do it video, and so that's on Thursday. But then after that, we'll post for the five dollars a month people on Patreon, five dollars and up. They'll get the audio version of that after the fact, like any other episode. So it's kind of like a bonus Patreon only jam session episode for the insiders. For the insiders, yeah, which is that $5 and up. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be really cool, and, and I'm looking forward to people being part of that process and kind of hearing the behind the scenes. You know, I already have some stuff to talk about because I want to talk a little bit about the the guests that we've had the last couple of times and, and uh, sort of what we've learned there, yeah. and I'll read you some of the comments too. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like I don't want anyone to feel excluded on the level of like if you've got something you want to say about the podcast, if you've got input, like – you email me. There's the Humanize Me Facebook page. Like, there's there's ways that you can like participate in the conversation. But this is just this is a really a live conversation where you can ask any question and and in real time we'll just we're working on this stuff together. Yeah. So anyway, so that's happening Thursday. I'm it's, it's at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. You can work it out in between, um, you Midwesterners or yeah. Whatever. And the details yeah. will be on Patreon. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. So that's it. I guess we can get on with the show. So what, what do you got? What do you got? Okay. So Bart, question. How should we think about high profile suicides like those of fashion designer Kate Spade and uh, just on Friday, TV personality chef Anthony Bourdain? Uh, 
these people seemingly had everything they could want, and yet they found themselves apparently without hope. What does this teach the rest of us? How should we think about suicide in general? What's our response? And how can we begin to prevent it from happening? That is really an interesting question. I, I mean, like, and if I seem a little stunned, it's like, that's not the one I expected. Um, <laughs> oh, really? No, no. I mean, it didn't occur, you know, it, 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 which it, it's, it's interesting because I didn't expect that question. And I don't think anybody expected Anthony Bourdain to kill himself or Kate Spade. No. Um, for just those reasons, you know, that... Um, that people seem to have it all going on in all the right ways. And I think, you know, the first thing that's important to say is that public personalities, even when they seem to be authentic, like, you know, I, I, even when I, when I was a Christian and even after I'm a Christian, I've always had people say to me like, man, what I appreciate about you is you re you're so real. You let it all hang out. Like you, you re when you don't, when you're confused, you tell people you're confused. Like you're just very authentic, very vulnerable. And, uh, and I try to do, I try to be that way. I try to be, that's kind of my shtick, if you will. Um, but like, even when people are really authentic, they're still not telling you everything. Um, you don't know, you don't know them. Um, Hell, I've been married for 30 years and every now and then I look across the table and I go, how well do I even know my wife? You know, like how well, yeah. how well does any one per, how well can you know any one person? Um, no, that is, that is a weird, a weird feeling. I've had that too. Yeah. I mean, my, Roman sent me a book by Carl Jung the other day and he said, you know, how is it possible that we could know other people intimately when, when most of us are completely unacquainted with our own selves? Like, yeah, I've been into Jung uh, myself recently. Yeah, it's weird. Kent Dobson also mentioned Jung and talking about like the unconscious and not really being fully familiar with yourself even. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I had a friend who said like, beware of Carl Jung. Like he, he's the back door to uh, some form of theism. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I don't I don't know. I haven't read enough of him. But what I, I do know is, is that we don't know ourselves that well. We don't know each other that well. And certainly when somebody is public, what you know of them is what they're telling you. And, and that's always crafted. And it might be crafted for really sincerely good reasons, and it might be crafted for you know marketing purposes or whatever, but it's really important not to think that we know any of these people, because we don't. It's a good point. Um, but I think that the other thing that's really important to understand is, is that, you know, suicides happen for a lot of different reasons. I, I did a quote, an Ingersoll quote about suicide, um, I think a, a week or two ago. And you know, he was, it's funny for the time, he was just very gracious. And again, saying, you know, we don't know why somebody does it. Sometimes we do. But a lot of times we don't know what kind of pain that they're in. Um, and the weird thing about pain is, is that sometimes pain can make life seem not worth living, but also sometimes pain can just cloud our judgment so much in a moment 
um, that we can think life isn't worth living in that moment and we can make a permanent sort of response to a very temporary problem. And, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, Kate Spade, evidently she struggled with depression for a long time, her husband said, and as, as, as anyone who's been around depression or understands what, what is now an epidemic of anxiety and depression, in our society knows like, and that's, that's a bear. And, and that can, that can eat somebody away quietly. Um, but, but, you know, Anthony Bourdain showed none of those signs, but I think to myself, maybe he just, something terrible happened in the moment and he thought there, this won't be, I won't be able to recover from this or this will change everything for me. And in a moment, he made a decision that maybe he wouldn't have made if he'd have gotten a decent night's sleep or had a decent meal or, mm. or a friend had called at just the right moment. And that's not to blame his friends. We never know what those moments are. Um, but, but it, you know, it kind of is to say, maybe we should just be calling a lot just in case it's that moment. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe we should, maybe we should be checking in with each other, especially the people that are closest to us more than we do. Because one of the things that I'm noticing is, is that, um, it doesn't matter how many followers you have on Facebook or how many people are watching your Instagram page. Like that doesn't seem to keep people in the game, but actual relationships with flesh and blood people, kind of empirical data suggests that does keep people in the game. Um, when they otherwise might check out. Of course, depression can make you feel very alone, even if you have a lot of relationships, can't it? Yeah, yeah, and sometimes relationships become a can feel like a burden in that in that way. So, I mean, I, I think that there's a whole reckoning that's going to happen in this country. Not a reckoning, but there's a whole education process where we're all going to have to learn how to talk to people that are clinically depressed and what what kind of messages are most helpful and what kind of messages aren't helpful you know because like the, you know just cheer up that is not a helpful message no. um but but there are things that you can say that are helpful it's funny I, I this is a totally random other topic um but you'll see the relationship in a second um the Mr. Rogers documentary is about to come out. Yes. Uh, it's called Won't You Be Lots My Neighbor. Lots of people have been looking forward to that. I cannot wait. I've seen the previews for it. Um, and as part of the run-up, there was an article in the Atlantic Monthly uh, where two of Fred Rogers' producers talked about, they, they used to sit around, they worked with him for so long crafting the scripts for those shows. And it turns out that everything was more carefully worded than you think. Mm. Um, and they had a, a pamphlet that they called the nine rules for fredifying your, 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 your conversations with kids. And it was, I mean, it's brilliant. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take you through it right now. I, I'll put the link up on the, um, on the show notes. Um, but he was so careful, like learning what to say to kids and how to say it so that it wouldn't scare them, even though they were talking about hard subjects. And it, I mean, that was his great brilliance was that he was able to talk about everything with kids in a way that really helped them. And I think we're all going to have to learn to be good 
encouragers of people who are depressed and anxious because our present way of life and our present technologies and our present diet and whatever pace and economy, it's producing a lot of anxious and depressed people. And we've got to be better at loving each other. Um, and that's, and, and that's going to be part of it. So, you know, and, and this is not to say that everybody didn't do everything right with Kate Spade or Anthony Bourdain. For all I know, everything was done right and, the, and, it, and it just failed because that is the one thing too I know. And that is that while many, if not most, m- probably most suicides are avoidable tragedies, I'm of the mind that there are times when, you know, suicide's a very understandable choice. And I don't want to, I don't want, you know, I don't want to come off as like I'm giving permission. No, I do too. But I I also, uh, you know, the last thing I want to do to somebody who's got a friend or a family member who's died under, under really difficult circumstances that way is, you know, we tend, we tend to load on some shame and Mm. We, we, we tend to make, you know, in our effort to protect people, you know, because we, we, we want to send the message to the kids like, this is never okay, you know, for, for safety's sake. But sometimes we send that message so strong that we end up unfairly and painfully, you know, laying an additional burden on the survivors of somebody who's who's maybe suicided for very understandable reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, there's some nuance there. Uh, occasionally I think suicide may be a rational choice occasionally. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a, but it's a weird area because like you say, you, you, m- the vast majority of the time, anybody contemplating suicide has a better option. And so you never want to kind of like say, Oh yeah, there are rational reasons to do this sometimes because people will assume that it applies to their situation and it, and it probably doesn't. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult subject, but I guess I guess when it comes to these famous people, um one of the things that I think is is it, it sounds trite, but most most of us think like, oh, if I had, if I looked like her, or if I had what he had, or if I was as su- successful as that person, I would be so happy. And the truth of the matter is, is that our happiness and well being is so much more dependent on our immediate relationships and also on our expectations. Um, and 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 you know, real sadness isn't having a little it's 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 when the gap between what you thought you were going to have and what you actually have is very is so is, is so different I, I didn't say that very well but um i think our our senses I, well one of the, I, I saw a great study once where they interviewed people who had become paraplegics mm-hmm. at, at one year after they had been injured and they interviewed people who had won the lottery and were become millionaires one year afterwards. And what they found was is that the people that were happy before their before they got injured, after about a year of adjustment, they were registered about the same level of happiness. And and if they were sad, they registered the same level of sadness. And the people that were sad or or, or discouraged before they won the lottery, a year later, 
it equalized out, you know, and you would think like those are huge life changing experiences. And, and what the researchers said is, you know, what determines your level of well-being is, is much more to do with your temperament. Yeah. Yeah. And and your key and your key relationships. And so I you sort of return to baseline, don't you? Yeah. You, you Yeah. I mean, you 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 normalize. Yeah. You no- right, normalize right. whatever happens and, and whatever is your normal. And so I think that the thing is, is that it's really sometimes people make the mistake of pursuing things that they think will make them happy. And the answer is, is that probably the thing that will make you happiness, the thing to pursue (laughs) above all is a better understanding of how you work and a better understanding of how your relationships work. And, uh, you know, self-knowledge is probably, and, and, and sort of, developing some better habits is probably better than thinking like if I get that promotion or if I lose that 50 pounds or, mm. you know, and I'm not to say, I mean, I know people that have lost weight and it's made a big difference, but I also know people who lost weight and what they found was that they had just traded one set of problems for a different set of problems. And they were no, the real problem was they weren't equipped to deal with problems. And so they weren't directly addressing or aiding well-being. They were doing other things, hoping that it would lead to well-being. Yeah, yeah. And and so you know, I mean, there's a whole factory out there. There's a whole cottage industry of happiness books and what makes people happy and what causes people to flourish. And I talk a lot about that myself. And uh, and I got really strong feelings about what it takes to have meaningful relationships. Um, you know, like I'm working on this book right now about connecting with other people. And one of the mm-hmm. one of the things that you know you sort of start out by saying is is, you know, good relationships are not the domain of like extroverts or people people or, you know, funny people or, you know, talented or attractive people. I mean, I've seen really talented, attractive, successful people who have no meaningful relationships. And I've seen people that on paper don't have very much to make them sort of socially, you know, valuable in on, on the open market, but they have fabulous relationships um, because mm. what it takes to have close relationships has a lot more to do with uh, intentionality and priority, um, and 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 a, and a willingness to really know yourself and to figure out kind of how you can contribute to the lives of other people than it does. Um, kind of that checklist of super cool characteristics that are going to make everybody like you. (laughs) And so, you know, and and so when, you know, now again, by all accounts, these celebrities that killed themselves were remarkable people that had lots of great friendships. But, you know, I've read enough magazine profiles of people that I know to know that it's all spin. I mean, you could write a magazine profile about me that makes me seem like a wonderful human being, or you can write, and, and, and all, the, all the factual information will be true, and you can write one that'll make me seem like the worst, most selfish jerk in the world, and all that information will be true too. It's, you know, you gotta be really careful yeah. that you think you know people that you've never even met. So um, a group of Humanize Me listeners this week started a course 
it was that Yale course on happiness taught by Laurie Santos. Yeah, yeah. Bit really po- I guess it's the most popular Yale course ever. It's called The Science of Well-Being. And a group of Humanize Me uh, listeners, uh, I guess, started it at the urging of Bob Cleary this week because you can do it for free on Coursera. So you get the full Yale treatment. It's about 15-hour course, something like that, over a few weeks. But you can do it for free online. And so you learn about sort of... Um, how many How many of them are doing it? There's at least a few. I, I don't know the number, but it's really cool. Oh, man. who if you're, if you're Whoever you are, like, tell me about it. Like, like I, I want to know because... Okay, and I'll post on the show notes the Coursera link for anybody who wants to join it. It's not too it. late to join, huh? No, no. And you know, okay. it's, it's, it's like you can, it teaches you about what the psychological science says about happiness. Um, and then it sort of actually puts it into practice too. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, so, so that's, that's great so, I mean, stuff. I feel like we, like, I, I don't have a lot to say about that. I, I, I stre- you know, stretch it out as much as I can, like, except just like, I'm sad. Those were human beings and they, and they cut the cord sooner than we would have liked to have seen it. And that's always sad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, do, have you got time to do one more real quick? Yeah. Yeah. What do you got? Mr. Campolo, my husband and I listened to your episode where you talk with Ryan Meeks and we were blown away by it. As you both described the process, we had fallen out of the tree of evangelicalism, specifically, and Christianity a few years back. It's been very freeing to us, but we're also aware that we are now on a different part of our new journey. In your conversation, you and Ryan make references to different books. Is there any chance that you have a list of books that you mention or a list of books that you'd recommend for those who have left Christianity? The most I had found was a book called Parenting Beyond Belief, which has been very helpful. Thanks again for having these conversations and sharing them with us. It's comforting to know that there are people out there on the same journey as my family. Well, that is a great question. And it's only the 7,000th time I've gotten. And I can't believe I haven't done a book list. Yeah, because like it seems a really basic thing. Because the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of times people I talk to, they've they're they've gone through the like the exhilaration of throwing off a worldview that didn't work for them, but they haven't filled in that gap. They haven't. They haven't. They sort of think like, well, I you know I don't need a religion, and mm-hmm. <laughs> like just because you don't believe in supernatural forces or a god anymore, doesn't mean you don't need a religion. Uh, you know, because many of us are religious by nature, and what I mean by that is. You know, I think of religion as kind of the collective effort to answer life's ultimate questions. And uh, and so, you know, religion is this kind of collective way that, that sort of says to you, hey, here's the story of the whole universe and the whole world. Here's what's going on in the big world. And here's how your individual life relates to it. And because the world is this way, you should act this way. Um, and religions do that. They sort of, they sort of place you in a larger, in, as part of a larger story, which is comforting when you're in a huge universe and you're a little tiny dot. Um, 
to sort of go like, oh, no, no, you're part of something bigger than yourself. You're not just you. Like, here's where you fit into the big story. And then, uh, and then because this is where you fit into this big story, like because the world is the way it is, here's a sensible way to live or here's a, a moral way to live or here's a righteous way to live. And, uh, and so particularly for people that have grown up in, in religion, um, it's important. You know, uh, I mean, one of the reasons I didn't go through the bitter stage was because as soon as I realized I was losing my faith, like I literally went upstairs in my house to a room and started reading all these books from the library and one led to the other and stuff like that. And some of them weren't any good and some of them took me down rabbit trails and I quickly learned like, this is what I'm looking for. And I ended up having to spend about six months piecing together a new worldview. And, um, and so here's the deal. Like, I'm not going to tell you my whole book list right now. It would be too long and, and, and it would wear you out. I'm going to give you like one or two books right now. And then like, maybe we'll do it again and we'll just build on it. And eventually we'll have a list that we'll put up. Cause I mean, I've got like a 20 book list that I, right. that I, but I never, I've never put it out there. And so I think we better put it out there. Yeah, we should. But for starters, I'll tell you the book, the book I almost always recommend to post-Christian people. Because one of the big problems of post-Christianity is, is that sense of, I know I wanted, I want, I know I love life and I know I want to pursue goodness, but I don't know why I want to do the right thing. Like I need a reason, like, like I need some grounding for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the book that was the most helpful to me was a, a little book called The Sacred Depths of Nature, written by a biologist named Ursula good enough. And uh, if you've read my book, I quote her in there. Um, I, I, I mean, I love her name. I love her book. I, like, I, I'm sure I would have loved her. She's just a, and, and she herself was a minister's kid who grew up reading devotionals. And when she became a scientist said, you know, we, I need a, I need a scientific devotional. And that's what this book is. It has these chapters on how the natural world came into being and at the end of each chapter is a sort of reflection which says if this is the, the the actual story of how we came into being how do you respond to that story and what's the what, what's what's a human response to that story and uh, in terms of filling me with a sense of devotion to life like in a sense she tells the story of life and she says listen if you tell the story of life well enough it should inspire religious devotion in you. You should be committed to life. It's that beautiful. It's that awesome. Um, it is. Uh, it, it is. It is a a reality that kind of calls out your your sense of gratitude. And 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 she does a great job of saying that the most gracious, the, the 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 proper response to wonder at life is to do everything that you can to promote life and to preserve life and to enrich life and to protect life into the future. And so that, I mean, like, that would be the book I would, I, I, I mean, anyone who's close to me who's asked me that question goes like, that's always the first book off good. the shelf. Good, good, good. And uh, maybe, maybe that's enough for now. Maybe I like, I'll, 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 that, that's my one star. And I don't even think it's in print anymore, but you can always find it. You can always find it online. It's it's out there. Well, I'm inclined to say that we should uh, 
ask you for another book recommendation after the next Q&A, and we'll just use that as a bonus uh, sort of a, a bonus segment. Uh, yeah, we'll, just, we'll yeah, get the list out we'll there keep going. over the course of the next few months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, man. I like it. So are we done? I believe so, Bart. I appreciate it. John, thanks for doing this stuff with me. You're a good man. All right. I'll catch you later. And I'll catch everybody later on Humanize Me. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit bartcampolo.org. Hey, you could be larger than life.